Since 1995, the UN Climate Change Conference, or what is more commonly known as the COP, has gathered the world's countries once a year to discuss, share knowledge, negotiate, and take collective action to spur on a greener future. From the very first COP to the 28th just held in Dubai, Denmark has brought its rich experience with green solutions to the table. And if there's one solution that's particularly emblematic of Denmark's presence at COP, it's the synergy between the decision makers and the solution providers. You're listening to Sound of Green, a podcast from State of Green. Each episode, we invite experts and stakeholders to convey Danish perspectives on a given challenge of the global green transition. Through decades of experience, Denmark has turned many of these challenges into opportunities. By sharing these experiences, we hope to help you do the same. In this episode, we explore the Danish way of doing COP. As you've just heard, this podcast is all about showcasing Danish perspectives on the global green transition by sharing the stories of our experiences. When it comes to the Danish approach to the COP, we at State of Green actually play an integral part in that story ourselves. My name is Finn Mortensen, and I'm the executive director of State of Green. And State of Green is a public-private partnership, not-for-profit. Our job is to promote green Danish solutions to international stakeholders, both political and commercial stakeholders, and to foster relations with them to try and showcase what it is we have achieved in Denmark over the past 50 years and hopefully inspire them to move in their own green transition. Fint has been with State of Green since the beginning. And that beginning is inextricably linked to the COP. It all started back in 2009 when Denmark was hosting, it was COP15 at the time. We were tasked with uh, uh, setting up a Danish platform in connection with COP15. We've done that ever since. From the, you can say from, from the government side, the idea behind State of Green was to serve as a sort of a nation branding organization. From the business side, the idea was to create a common focal point for business interests in connection with COP15, where we could showcase how Denmark's transition had actually taken place and what kind of companies uh, could provide solutions that could inspire others. So that, that was a backdrop for the creation. Today, State of Green is an official organizing partner of the Danish Pavilion at COP, Denmark's national showcase platform and meeting point. Each year, we help organize side events all throughout the summit where public and private actors come together to share knowledge and present solutions. Initially, State of Green was meant to be a temporary platform, but it quickly became evident that there was merit in working to further the green transition in a public-private partnership. The initial reaction was, yes, that might be a good idea, but how will it work? Actually, the idea was that as an organization, we would close down at the end of Q1 in 2010 
But already in, in around uh, the fall of 2009, it, it was evident that this was a good idea. So, when Denmark goes to the COP, both public and private actors come along to advocate for green progress. To understand what that looks like in practice, a true insider perspective might be helpful. So my name is Maria Samuelson. I'm the head of delegation, as it's called, in the UNFCCC process in the Ministry of Climate and Energy and Utilities. So I am the lead of the Danish negotiations team at the technical level in the negotiations. Maria has attended the COP since 2017. So she's well-versed in all of the facets of COP that may seem like a bit of a black box to outsiders. As she explains, COP activities essentially take place on two separate tracks. In this context, we often distinguish a little bit between what we say the negotiation track and the action track. The negotiation is kind of the the framework for the work that we do. It's where the the official agreements and the rules that we have to apply to as party to the UNFCCC, whereas the action track is where all the the action is happening, where all the the companies come and, and showcase good business cases, come and demonstrate the solutions to the green transition that we have so many of uh, in a Danish context and, and are very, very good at, at, um, at showcasing. In recent years, the showcase of solutions from Denmark's private sector has grown increasingly remarkable. At COP28, over 30 companies comprised the biggest Danish business delegation yet. One of them was Astel, Denmark's largest energy company. And for Astel, there's no doubt that a strong private sector presence at COP is crucial to the process of fostering green progress globally. I might be biased, but I think that it's necessary. If you look at uh, at energy, which is responsible for, for 75% of global emissions, largely, and if you look at the investments needed within energy, then around 70% of those investments, they will need to come from the private sector. So you need to get the ones that have to that have the money and the ones that are going to do a lot of the hard work, so to speak, getting the turbines in the water, getting the solar panels out there, making sure that we have the means to do energy efficiency improvements. If you don't have these actors around the table, then it will be very difficult to reach the targets. This is Emil Damgaard-Gran the head of global positioning at Ørstel. Emil oversees Ørstel's activities in relation to the COP. And in his experience, the potential for synergies between public and private partners is increasingly being recognized as one of the great assets of the COP. It's not about one individual, it's not about one country, but it's about everyone being around the table. I definitely see private sector involvement in COPs being more and more integrated. I've experienced that firsthand in, in Glasgow at COP26 and at Sharm el-Sheikh at COP27. We feel that the governments are inviting us in and we are also accepting that invitation. This increased integration shouldn't be taken for granted. COP hasn't always been an arena for cross-sectoral dialogue. As Fint Mortensen can attest to, the public-private partnership exhibited by State of Green at the Danish Pavilion was an anomaly in its first years of existence. In the beginning, in the first years, I would say it it was rather uncommon 
that you, we had a, a platform like uh, the one here where we uh, stood together side by side, the public sector and the private sector. But increasingly over the past four or five years, I think it has dawned upon many people that the climate challenge is of a magnitude that governments cannot do it alone. The private sector needs to be involved. Timing may indeed be one of the key reasons why public-private cooperation at COP has gained traction in recent years. The global green transition is at the vital stage where formal ambitions need to be materialized into tangible action. And as Maria Samuelsen explains, that cannot be achieved without creating a link between decision makers and solution providers. I think with the Paris Agreement, we established the, the global rules, so to say. And I think from that point on, while it's still important to meet every year and discuss and, and emphasize the need for raising ambitions, we are also moving into more of an implementation phase. The agreement now has to have life, really, and that's what we all put in it as, as members or as parties to this agreement. And that's why I think the business side is so important, because that is the life that we put into this agreement. These are the solutions we need to, to spearhead and, and, and um, I mean, increase even more. So that's where I think the business side has a has an important role to play in this context. A good example of how public-private collaboration can give life to the implementation of green solutions is the First Movers Coalition. Launched by the American government and the World Economic Forum at COP26, the coalition is a public-private partnership aimed at harnessing the purchasing power and supply chains of companies to create early markets for innovative clean energy technologies that are key for tackling the climate crisis. Astel is a founding member of the coalition. And as Amit explains, the engagement of industry leaders in such partnerships sends an important signal to other solution providers and decision makers. The rationale behind the First Movers Coalition is to show clear demand signals towards producers of some of the newer uh, low carbon technologies that we need in order to reach net zero. So if we go together across the private sector and send a demand, for instance, by saying by 2030, we will promise to source at least 10% of our uh, concrete or of our steel from, from low carbon resources, then we send a clear demand signal to the entrepreneurs, to the startups, to the companies that need to develop these technologies so they can see that there is a market. It's important to show dedication and ambition on behalf of the Danish private sector because that sends a signal to governments, not only within Denmark, but across the world, that we are ready, we are available, uh, we have the solutions. So if you ramp up your ambitions, then we are ready to deliver. Importantly, the Danish businesses participating in the COP aren't just there to showcase their solutions. They're also advocating for the business practices needed to transform their own industries and the regulatory conditions needed to realize their green visions. For Emil, this sense of purpose makes being part of the Danish COP delegation meaningful. I work for Erstel because Erstel has a vision of a world that runs entirely on green energy. So that means that what I personally think is the right thing to advocate for, that is also 99 out of 100 times what Arsenal would also choose to advocate for. 
I do feel that uh, the Danish companies participating at COP uh, in general are on the the right side of history and have their uh, and have their visions well aligned with what is required for for our planet in terms of climate and biodiversity. So I have a I have a good sense of uh, of the endeavors of the Danish companies being well aligned with what is also needed for the planet. The alignment between Danish companies and global green ambitions has been recognized internationally multiple times. For instance, Astel has on more than one occasion been named the most sustainable company in the world. And having a proven green track record matters greatly when it comes to fostering mutual trust and respect needed for successful cross-sectoral collaboration. Uh, it's clear that it's there is a more open door to speak to the right stakeholders because they know that we have uh, the best interests of the planet and we can really sense that uh, they are also in need of the advice that we can provide on what are the regulatory levers needed to speed up the deployment because we are on the forefront of climate change, so to speak. We are out there putting the turbines in the water, installing the, the solar panels, uh, building the first large-scale e-methanol factory in Europe. So we know what challenges we are facing on an everyday basis. What the COP essentially provides is a unique opportunity for these real-life experiences of both private and public actors working to realize green ambitions all over the world to be shared face-to-face. There is just something about being together in a physical place. Then when you really get out there and speak to all the all the doers and all the thinkers out there and get perspectives that you don't get, whether you're sitting in front of your laptop or whether you're sitting somewhere else in Denmark, but you get to meet people from all across the world with different perspectives, uh, having different challenges, and perhaps having worked on some solutions uh, that you haven't thought about before. This sharing of perspectives in a physical space and across sectors is also something Maria Samuelsen appreciates as a government representative, because it spurs on the creation of a common language and frame of reference for all participating parties. A few times throughout the weeks, we come for like half an hour and give a status um, and we, t- we take turns in the negotiations team to come by the, um, the State of Green Pavilion and just give a, a quick briefing. And I think sometimes it feels like coming a bit out of uh, for fresh air from the negotiation rooms. It gives us a different perspective because obviously it's it's very linked and we're, we're coming straight from the rooms and, and go obviously often going straight back into, into the, the negotiation space. But having to maybe translate a little bit what's actually going on and, and, and the, some of the, the difficulties in the negotiations can also give us a different perspective, I think. In Maria's experience, outside perspectives and seeing the bigger picture are absolutely vital to keeping spirits up in the COP negotiations, which are often incredibly complex and tedious. Because despite critical voices questioning whether the COP is really a worthwhile endeavor, it represents an extraordinary exhibit of global action. I definitely understand sometimes the the skeptical voices and and sometimes I can definitely ask myself that question as well especially if you've been sitting in a negotiation where you feel like you just go in circles and it's the same points being made all all over again Uh, but I do think that um, sometimes when you lift yourself a bit away from that uh, concrete uh, situation and think about the fact that we every year meet at a high political level to discuss climate action and how important it is to keep 
this fight going and keep raising ambition, that kind of gives you a bit of chills, right? Because this is something that ministers and heads of state meet to discuss every year. We don't have many, many issues that bring that kind of political attention. But when you then reach that agreement at the end, it really gives a high because that means that 195 parties or something like that have come around uh, on something and uh, agreed on something which which might be able to move things uh, along. Before the Danish delegation traveled to the COP, we asked Emit and Maria what they were personally hoping to achieve and looking forward to. For Emil and Ørstel, focus was on advocating for better conditions for the very necessary deployment of renewable energy. In order to have just a tiny chance of keeping temperatures within 1.5 degrees, the world needs to triple the deployment of renewable power capacity by 2030. That is an insane amount of gigawatts of wind power, of solar power needing to be deployed. What we're trying to achieve at COP, that is to shed light on the fact that if you want to reach these very ambitious targets, you need to do more uh, in terms of regulatory frameworks. And there are at least three things that we think that governments should be uh, having an increased focus on. One thing is they need to be serious about unlocking the necessary supply chain investments. Secondly, we need to have a framework in place so we can speed up planning and permitting. Currently, it sometimes takes longer to plan and permit an offshore wind farm than it takes to actually construct it. Third, we also want to share the message that everything needs to be electrified. And what can't be electrified, we need to fuel that with green fuels from power to X, from renewable energy sources. So those are the three main messages we will be delivering at COP, whether at, whether at closed meetings, whether at uh, fancy stages, or whether at roundtables or in the communication we do around COP. For Maria, she knew that COP28 was bound to be a critical moment in the efforts to address climate change because it marked the first so-called global stocktake. The global stocktake is a process for countries and stakeholders to see where they're collectively making progress towards meeting the goals of the Paris Climate Agreement, and just as importantly, where they're not. It's meant looking at everything related to where the world stands on climate action, identifying the gaps, and working together to agree on solution pathways to 2030 and beyond. And as Maria explains, the outcome of this exercise will have important consequences. It's the culmination of two years technical process where inputs have come from science, from you know parties, from businesses, and, and now it's time for the political response to that. And I think that will be uh, the most significant decision we're going to be making at this COP because it will set the, the tone for the, the years to come. So how did it go? We called up Maria and Emil after they returned home to ask them. As for the global stock take, Maria admitted that the road to the final agreement text wasn't an entirely smooth one. Still, she's proud of the end result. I think overall, the result of the global stock take is, uh, is really, really good. Uh, it was tough negotiations, uh, long nights and a lot of... Um, 
back and forth. Uh, we saw a draft text a few days before the end of the COP, which was not very ambitious. And we were very disappointed and, and a bit nervous that this is what we could achieve if this was was all then then it definitely wouldn't be a satisfactory uh, result but um but in the last few days of the cop uh, a lot of ambitious countries pulled together and when we saw the the final text uh, coming out uh, i think early morning uh, on wednesday the 13th so the day after the cop uh, should have ended uh, it was definitely uh, better than than we could have expected so many good results especially on on uh, mitigation and the um, the energy transition where i think we have some very strong language now on on what we need to do in order to fa face down emissions uh, really but phasing out fossil fuels uh, increasing renewable energy and energy efficiency uh, a lot of really strong signals there and i think the fact that we now have i mean you know global uh, agreement uh, around the global stock take on where we are what we need to do how to get on track um i think that's it's really historic in a sense. After each COP, there's naturally a lot of debate about whether the final agreement is good enough. And with the severe climate challenges and crises we're facing globally, the answer will probably never be a resounding yes. We can and must always do more. Even so, it's important to recognize that part of what makes the COP meaningful is that it's global. And as Maria states, the COP28 agreement reflects the value of global support. You can always discuss the, you know, how binding the agreement is, should it have been more ambitious, all of these things. But I think uh, we really uh, managed to step up and everybody is supporting the, the outcome that came out of this COP. And I think only in that way we can move, move something if, every, if everyone agrees, right? If we end up with a, a result that is fragmented and some parties saying, well, we don't want to have anything to do with that, then then we won't, won't get anywhere. So in that sense, um, there was really global support behind it. And, and I think that's a, a, big, a big plus from this COP. Emil is also optimistic about the final agreement, especially in regards to the ambitions on renewables that Erstel has been advocating for? Overall, I think it was a very uh, productive COP for, for Erstel. Uh, we, uh, we had the ambition to help uh, pave the way for the tripling renewables target. I can't claim that it's on us that it, uh, that it became uh, part of the final text, but I do hope that we've been one of the pieces in the, in the puzzle pushing for that. So I'm very happy about that. Another highlight for me was the strong displays of public-private partnership that Astel and other Danish representatives put forth during the summit. Astel was particularly focused on fostering stronger collaboration on green fuels and managed to do so with fellow solution providers and decision makers. I was also very excited from a Danish perspective to see uh, ourselves at Astel and Copenhagen Infrastructure Partners and Topsu to go together and together with the Danish Minister for Climate and, and Energy and the, and the Crown Prince uh, and others and uh, speak with a, a common voice on, uh, on green fuels where we held a very successful event. It was good to see the Danish public and private sector uh, together uh, showing what Denmark has to offer on, on this area to the rest of the world. 
while the fight against climate change holds many uncertainties. It's abundantly clear that strong partnerships between public and private actors are a crucial part of the solution. And the COP offers a unique opportunity for those partnerships to be fostered and exercised. The continuously strong Danish presence at COP is a testament to just that, as Maria Samuelsen states. I think we are really good at at doing that um, at every COP, really having those side events that that demonstrate the the cooperation that we can um, achieve through the the public-private uh, cooperation that we have. I think the Danish Pavilion really is a good example of, of this cooperation where we, I mean, a strong negotiations team and a strong business team is really the way that we, from the Danish side, kind of demonstrate that we are are there and we mean business and we we also have the good solutions. In a year's time, world leaders will convene once again for another COP in the name of global climate action. And while the formal negotiations and agreements continue to be the focal point of the summit, the public-private platform that Denmark introduced almost 15 years ago has only become more relevant. So, when it comes to the future of the COP, the Danish message is clear. There are quite some discussions about, you know, the future of of the cops how do they look like are they are they still this big format with all kinds of stakeholders meeting and getting together or should we separate the negotiations a bit from from the the action track um i think in my personal view i think it's important to have it together i think this this action track underlines the fact that we are now in a in a phase where we need to implement the agreement that we've made and we actually have a lot of solutions out there and and i think separating it from the action track would be um, kind of separating the work the work that we do from the real world really and and what needs to take place for us to move things along I'm still convinced that the success of not only the COP, but of uh, overall climate aspirations and targets that depend on the, both the public and the private sector. Uh, the public sector, they need to negotiate the final targets, the countries between them. But we are the ones that can deliver the solutions and the technologies. And we are the ones that can bring them down in cost and scale them. Uh, so we need each other, basically. But the concept of public-private partnership has come to to stay, no doubt about that, and and it will also be evident in uh, in, uh, in in future cops. I think the uh, the notion will will spread even further. We can see that from the number of requests we have gotten over the years. We have helped a number of countries with inspiration from Denmark in in setting up their own public private partnerships. So so I think uh, the future bodes well for the uh, for the notion of the public private partnership. Thank you for listening to this episode of Sound of Green. We want to give a special thanks to Maria Samuelsen from the Danish Ministry of Climate, Energy and Utilities, to Emil Damgaard Grant from Ørsted, and to our very own Finn Mortensen from State of Green. For more stories and solutions from the Danish Green Transition, visit our website, stateofgreen.com. Here, you can dive deeper into Denmark's approach to creating a sustainable society and connect with the solution providers that make it possible.